This is an AI Group podcast. Hello to you all, and I'm here today with Lee Meitzes, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Victorian EPA. Uh, Lee was previously the first and inaugural CEO of the Bushfire Recovery uh, in Victoria, and prior to that was the Deputy Secretary in the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning. So Lee's had plenty of experience in the public service um, and has now taken on the role as the CEO of the EPA. Welcome, Lee. Great to join you, Tim. Uh, Lee, you've come into the EPA at a particularly interesting time because you've just introduced new legislation with the EPA, which is a vital part of what you're intending to do. It's a major change for the EPA, uh, the first major legislative change for 50 years. Um, what do you hope this new legislation is going to be doing and, and how do you see the relationship um, that, that it might create for you and, and industry? Yeah, thanks, Tim. Look, you, you're exactly right. The, the Environment Protection Act of 2017 came into effect on, on 1 July this year. Um, and it is. It, it's the biggest reform in the EPA's 50-year history. And it fundamentally changes the role of, of, of the regulator from, from an organisation that has been traditionally focused on dealing with the impacts of pollution and waste on, on communities um, and on the environment after those impacts have occurred to an organisation that's much more focused on working with industry, working with community, working with all duty holders to really prevent those impacts from occurring in the first place. So, so that means we've got to change the way we, we, we work. Um, we've got to use different regulatory tools. Um, in particular, we've got to be better um, at engaging early with industry to understand to, to work with industry to both understand some of their drivers and their pressures. Um, to identify where best practice is and to work with them on that identification of best practice in, in terms of risk identification and risk management, um, and then to really promulgate that, that good practice right across the industry and across industry sectors to, to ultimately lift environmental performance. So it does. It's, you know, whilst we do retain you know, some of those kind of more, more pointed regulatory powers and sanctions and, and you know, fines and, and prosecutions and, and those, those things, I think this this new law really or new laws really places a stronger emphasis on us engaging, educating, working with, um, whilst you know still remain, still maintaining that kind of that harder edge of regulation. If I can call it that. You make it sound as though it's going to be a more flexible approach that you'll be adopting with industry and others. I'm sure. Um, is it going to be that way, or is it? more um, a stronger regulatory role that you have and the change that is going to be expected of industry? Yeah, look, I, th I think it's a bit of both. So people will be pretty familiar with um, occupational health and safety laws and, and really that's what a lot of the new environmental protection legislation is based on. It, it's a positive or duty-based legislative regime and, and fundamental to, to that is accepting that those who run businesses and work in industries know their businesses best, they know where the environmental risks are, and, and more often than not, they're in the best position to be able to most effectively mitigate those risks. So um, that, that necessarily means that we need to be flexible, and industry um, shouldn't be expecting from us uh, almost the, 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 the black letter law, for want of a better term, this is how you must do A, or this is how you must do B. Um, what we will we'll be doing is working with industry to 
to, to understand how they go about managing or identifying and managing risks, um, to, to providing them advice. Um, but more importantly, I think we want to encourage industries and industry sectors to, to work together to really, again, identify where, what that best practice is and to continually drive up environmental performance. So the legislation is a bit like the, the OHS and the WorkSafe legislation in that you're expected to be to taking action before anything occurs to make sure that you don't have a, an occupational health and safety problem or you don't have an environmental problem. You're expected to be to be looking ahead and, and, and dealing with those sorts of risks rather than uh, the action occurring and then having a, a prosecution as a result. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So I, I think you can expect, you know, when an EPA officer turns up at, at, at your business or your site, you know, one of the first questions we'll ask is about your risk management system. Um, tell us how you identify risks. Tell us what the risks you see in, in your industry, in your industry sector, um, and, and tell us about how you're going about managing those, those, those risks. So we're really interested in making sure that, that there is good risk management principles in place. And you know, we're, we're practical in how, how we do that. And I think that's a, a, another earmark of, or hallmark of these new laws is it's a much more practical uh, approach and and one that respects the role and, and of industry in you know identifying what works best for it in terms of uh, how those environmental outcomes are being achieved. So you talked about the risk management systems that need to be introduced and 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 industry needs to have now. How sophisticated will they need to be? Will it be dependent on on the circumstances and and will smaller businesses be able to deal with it? Will larger businesses be able to introduce them easily? Yeah, look, I think there are a couple of relevant points I'd make. One is, um, you know, uh, uh, many businesses already have good risk management systems in place. Um, and that's what we'd be looking at. We're not necessarily asking for more or different, but you know, we'll be looking at, at those risk management systems that, that do exist and, and working with industry to say, you know, are there some adjustments or otherwise that could, could be be made to, to deliver better environmental outcomes. But there's also going to be other industries that are now quite new to environmental regulation or even new to, to, to a risk management approach. And um, again, our expectations of those are going to be, be different as they build out some of those systems in, in, in their businesses. So you know, again, we'll be quite proportionate in how we go about this. Um, but fundamentally, it's about understanding where a business is, being respectful um, of, of the journey that many businesses will be on in terms of, you know, new environmental laws, new requirements, accepting that, you know, despite best efforts, people aren't going to always get it right from day one. Um, but what we want to see is that, that people are having a go, um, that they're learning, that they're working with us to, to improve environmental performance. Um, and, you know, again, but... Yeah, if we do and where we do see that deliberate or that criminal non-compliance, then people can expect that we will will take um, the, the you know take people on in terms of uh, the new powers and the new sanctions that we do have under under the Act. But now it's certainly not a one size fits all. Different businesses will have different experiences in risk management. They'll have different experiences in environmental regulation, um, and we'll be sort of really tailoring our approach to again lift performance overall without you know expecting that everyone's going to have things perfect from day one. So you raised two um, good points there that are interesting uh, for us. 
One is the type of support that you might be able to provide, because many companies, particularly smaller companies, won't have a person that's dealing with environment. It might be the general manager who has to deal with the environmental issues. Some bigger businesses, of course, have people who deal with OHS and environment as a joint issue, but most won't have that. Um, when WorkSafe was dealing with some of these issues, they encouraged their inspectors to be very supportive and provide even advice as to what could be done to improve things. Have you considered what your inspectors might be able to do out there in the field? Uh, I think, you know, we're, we're, we've been watching and talking a lot to, to, to WorkSafe and the approach it took. Um, I think it was almost 10 years ago when duty-based legislation came in um, from the OHS perspective. So absolutely, you can expect our officers will be first, you know, first thing is about raising awareness. Now, are you aware that there's new environmental laws? Are you aware that your business is now subject to those environmental laws? Um, here's some information that you might want to have a look at. And once you've had a look at it, I'll, we'll come back and we'll work out what does this mean for you. So it, it, I think it's about awareness raising, first of all. Then it's about educating. And we'll be doing things like you know, we'll produce guidance. Now, guidance isn't saying this is how things must be done, but it is identifying a one way that compliance could be achieved. And, and that, that guidance material is more often than not being developed in partnership with, with industry, partnership with business, as part of how we raise the, the state of knowledge about what in good environmental management looks like. So you can expect awareness raising, you can expect education, you know, where we do see that deliberate or, or criminal non-compliance, you can expect that we will take the appropriate enforcement action. Lee, you've all, already given an indication about how you feel in relation to companies that might have made a mistake. Um, and you've shown us with some of the actions that you've, de you've developed since the July 1st that inadvertence is recognised and understood by the EPA. Can you explain a bit more about how you are going to deal with people who don't deliberately do something, particularly in these early stages, but inadvertently contravene any legislation you've got there? Yeah, so we've put out what we call our statement of regulatory intent. Um, and the statement of regulatory intent, which is available on, on EPA's website, really sets out what people can expect of us. And, and so, you know, we know, it, it, I think it's important firstly to recognise that, you know, th these changes in environmental laws, they're changes for the EPA too. I mean, almost as an organisation, we got used to working under one set of legislation for 50 years. So we're, we're leaning into these, this new act and we're, we're, sort of in a lot of ways learning as, as, as we implement um, as much as industry is itself. So, um, you know, we know that despite all of us, I expect, wanting to see compliance from day one, that you know, these new laws introduce new requirements. They introduce, um, you know, things like how we track waste and enter different records in at different stages of the process, which are quite different to what's happened before. And you know, people are going to make genuine and honest mistakes. Um, where we see those or where they're identified by, by businesses, we'll be working with them to say, okay, what can we put in place to make sure that we don't repeat that mistake? And equally, if it's it's something we're seeing happen repeatedly, you know, what do we need to do? Is it different guidance material we need to put out? Is it is it more direct engagement with particular, particular sectors so that we're learning from those things and that we're continuously improving the application of the laws, and again, ultimately, we're improving environmental performance. So do you see there is will be a need for a change in mindset from 
EPA officers and um, including industry in this case? Do we need a change in mindset for industry in order to make sure that they do comply? Yeah, look, I, I think it's a, it's a bit of a change of mindset for, for everyone in that, you know, it's our focus as, an, as a regulator is on really supporting and working with and ensuring that that industry itself is, is taking control of the risks that it has and is managing those risks accordingly. So it's not about us telling people this is what compliance must look like, but it's about really looking at those risk management systems. And that in and of itself is quite a significant mind shift um, for EPA officers, but equally for, for industry. Um, it's about industry really kind of taking its responsibilities by the horns, putting what works in their business in place, and then we, we will come in and we'll make sure that those good, those systems are not only are they they're in place, but they're appropriate and they're ultimately being implemented effectively. Lee, the waste industry in Victoria is heavily regulated and indeed is going to be even more regulated as a result of the new legislation. Um, and it's a really important industry for Victoria. In fact, it's now considered to be um, an essential industry within Victoria. So you've introduced the waste tracker system, which has been something that um, I think has been needed to try and make sure we know where waste is being sent to, which is obviously your aim. And we've had some criminal issues to deal with um, of the previous prior to the legislation. Um, what is the aim of Waste Tracker and how are you finding it, whether it's succeeding or not? Yeah, so Waste Tracker is really part of a broad or a, a suite of, of new requirements that the new legislation has introduced for the transport or the for generators of waste, transporters of waste, and ultimately re receivers of waste. And underpinning it is a duty, and it's a duty to make sure that waste is going to a lawful place. And so what Waste Tracker does is enables us to get real-time um, visibility to waste at the, at, the, at the site of generation. So waste generators will enter a record. It will be picked up by a transporter of waste who will enter a record and ultimately um, received at a lawful place who will enter a record. And, and so that enables us to really make sure that the reportable priority waste that's being generated equals the reportable priority waste that's being disposed of at, at, at a lawful place. And, and importantly, and as you said, we can then start identifying if there are gaps or anomalies between those numbers, which would be an indicator potentially of, of some form of illegal um, dumping or illegal activity. So really that's what it's designed to do, is to make sure that we, we can track reportable priority waste right through the system. Um, now, that in and of itself um, is a change in, in, in practice. And, and, and we're very conscious that changes like this, you know, it's, not oft, it, it's, it's often not until you're actually implementing that you start to see where some of the perhaps unintended issues associated with the introduction of, of a system like that it, it exists. So, um, you know, our focus right now is, is as we as we working with industry on implementation, what are some of those just practical things that perhaps are creating a burden on industry or aren't working the way any of us intended and really trying to understand how we can fix those, those issues so that we're, we're achieving the outcomes we want, but we're not having a, a, an unnecessary burden or cost imposed on industry who, who genuinely, I think, are trying and wanting to do the right thing. Have you managed to get good feedback from industry as to how 
Waste Tracker has been working? I think we've had um, fantastic feedback. And, you know, as I said, you know, people are now putting it into their businesses and they get their understanding not only, you know, what does that mean for the people who work in the offices? What is it meaning for the truck driver? Um, what are some of those kind of odd or, or again, unintended things that, that happen? And industry's been really generous in not only sort of telling us um, about the things that they're experiencing, but inviting us onto their sites, uh, into their offices, into their trucks, so we can really get a good appreciation of, you know, some of those implementation challenges or some of those uh, those cost burdens that are, that are being kind of created, but were certainly not an intended part of the system. Um, they're not only telling us problems, but they're telling us some sort of solutions too. So it, it's genuinely, I think, a, a great example of a partnership approach where we're both working towards a common outcome. That is, reportable priority waste is appropriately and lawfully disposed of. Um, and we want to do it in a way that is efficient, for, for all involved, in, in, including industry, including those truck drivers, including those in the offices who, who are entering records. Lee, I think the industry, the waste industry, has been uh, extremely pleased with the fact that you've adopted an, a practical approach. That you've had some of your most senior people jumping in the cab of a truck of a truck and working with the truck driver to see what the practical issues are. So, what are some of the issues that you found from a practical perspective that none of us could ever have really thought about until you actually got on site and seen and seen what's happened and, and have you managed to be able to change them? So there's a, a range of the issues that, that we've identified. Um, some really quite simple things like um, our, our waste tracker app only works when a phone is mounted uh, vertically, whereas what we see and, and, and know through, through talking and, and, and seeing truck drivers that often they mount their phones horizontally in the truck. So that's, you know, unless we want all of our truck drivers kind of driving around with their head on an angle, we have <laughs> to fix it. Um, and, and so we've been able to fix that issue. There's also more kind of complicated issues about, you know, bulk loads or, or um, what we call here about it's called milk runs, where there's multiple pickups being done. And, and the advantage of being able to load those into the system up front, still maintain the, the legislative intent of live tracking, um, but just making it, it it's simpler and easier for those things to, to be done. Now, now they're, they're, we're, we're working on those. They're taking a, a little longer to, to fix. But, you know, what, what industry has been great at is really prioritising with us about what other things, if we can fix, will have the biggest difference. And so that's enabling us to really work methodically through these issues to deliver, I think, what will be, and I have no doubt about this, what, what will be a really fantastic system overall. You and your staff have engaged with some of the most senior people within the waste industry and you've listened to what they've had to say. And I think it's um, been a difficult one because sometimes the software which, which you've developed and spent a lot of money developing hasn't quite been on the mark. And one of the issues for the waste industry has been the number of people that they've had to put in to download the software to make sure that it deals with your problems or, or, or deals with the information that you need and has created problems, therefore, for the industry. Uh, what have you been able to do to listen um, and to engage and, therefore, to do something about that software? Yeah, so obviously the first thing, and, and you know, the, the legislation of, of this kind is almost a big bang. So legislation comes into effect and then things like Waste Tracker, which are a, a product, if you like, of that, that legislation and the software that underpins that, that functionality, 
all went live quite quickly on, on one on one July, and you know we had our teams were in the office at four a.m. wanting to make sure because we knew that was when waste would start moving to make sure that we could see waste moving through through the system. Worst thing we wanted um, was you know people trying to use the system not being able to, and that would literally stop waste moving across the state. That that was our kind of nightmare scenario. Fortunately, we didn't see that. We we saw waste continue to be to be able to be moved, but through the different engagements that we've had, both you know through AIG, for example, and and, and some of its member companies, through to just individual engagement with, with businesses, um, they've identified what are some of those common challenges, um, what are some of those implementation issues that whilst we could wait, still move waste, there was inefficiencies or additional costs being created. So. Now, working with the industry, again, to prioritise what are the most important things? What are those things that would have, that? what are the fixes that we could make that would have the greatest benefit for the greatest number of, of companies? And that's enabled us to, again, re really target our, our, our efforts. And and one thing that we've done is, uh, as I mentioned before, is really get make sure that we've got those that are making the fix um, or, or designing the fixes, um, not only engaging with the most senior people in, in the businesses, but dealing with those and engaging with those that are using Waste Tracker on a day-to-day -day basis to understand their experience with it and get their ideas about how we could make this system work work, work better, more efficiently, um, while still maintaining that, that really important intent, which is you know, the lawful transport and disposal of waste. Yeah, engaging with all levels is important because it's not just the people in the offices that have to download it, it's the, it's the people who, who are inputting the information, the truck drivers, um, who it has to be as easy as possible for them to use because they've got a lot of other work that they're concentrating on at the same time. Um, so we re really appreciate the fact that your guys have been willing to do that and to jump in trucks and to think and reconsider the software. Um, and what you did was that you invited the senior people from the waste industry onto a group um, that could give this this information directly to you and you've listened, so we've appreciated that. But in relation to Waste Tracker, what is it intended to do, do you think, that will to, will prevent some of the actions that, it, that was ha were happening before? So are there any examples of things that were happening, you know, 12, 18 months ago that you hope that Waste Tracker will prevent? Yeah, so, so fundamentally what Waste Tracker is designed to do is give EPA real-time visibility to the movement of waste across the state. And, and so by having, uh, once waste is generated, um, and I, I should say this is this is reportable priority waste that we're talking about here. So, so the, the worst of the worst waste, if I, if I can call it that. Um, so we can see where it's generated from, and then we can see um, it, it's who picks it up to transport it, and ultimately we can see that it's where it, where it's being disposed of. And what we ideally and, and what the system's designed to do is really identify where there's an anomaly. So, you know, we've got 10 tonnes of reportable priority waste being generated, for example, but only two tonnes being disposed of at a lawful place. Now, that means that our officers who can interrogate and, and get this information live can see, well, where's that eight tonnes gone? And so that really enables us to target um, target in our efforts so that we, we avoid things that we have seen in the past, like the illegal dumping or burial of, of you know, some pretty pretty bad chemicals um, into the environment. So really that's what, what it's designed to do. Live visibility of the, of the generation, transport and disposal of, 
the worst of the worst uh, waste. Um, you know, really weed out the, the those that wanted or are doing the wrong thing, and really support you know what I, I'd like to consider the bulk of the industry who, who are genuinely doing the right thing, um, and really have embraced the idea and the concept, and are now working with us to really improve waste tracker to achieve those outcomes. And the remediation of some of those facilities have been pretty expensive for the government, um, I guess, for, for the EPA. So using Waste Tracker might hopefully stop some of that occurring. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, there, there, there's you know, unfortunately over probably the last five to, to well five years, you know, a number of incidents of, of illegal stockpiles of of, of, um, of chemicals, um, you know, fairly significant fires. You know, fire, the fire at Tottenham. Um, comes to mind, um, you know, a, a legal dumping out at, at Caniva in or near Caniva at Lemon Springs in, in the far southwest of the state. Um, you know, the state in in all cases um, has stepped in. Um, the cleanup uh, has been on the the taxpayer who's had to meet those costs, and you know we don't want that to become the norm. Um, you know, businesses need to manage their risk. Um, and, and this again is just another tool in our arsenal to make sure that you know that's what's occurring. That, that businesses are appropriately managing their risk um, and appropriately disposing of any waste that's generated through through their their industry activities. One of the issues over the years that we've been discussing with government is contaminated waste, and particularly the interstate movement of contaminated waste. And it, it didn't seem. Um, logical that at one stage you could be moving contaminated waste from Victoria to Queensland um, be, and that it would be economically feasible for that to be done. Is Waste Tracker going to change that, that type of concern? I think what, um, look, there are a number of factors that cause the, the um, waste to be transported across, across um, state lines. You know, levies uh, and, and the like are, are a big part of that. Um, I think what we will see is, again, Waste Tracker giving us visibility. We'll be able to see what is going across state boundaries. We'll be able to start working with our counterparts in other states to understand why. And ideally, we'll start to, I'd like to think we can start to get some, some harmonisation of some of these systems like Waste Tracker uh, across state borders, recognising that, you know, a lot of the bigger waste transport companies operate in multiple states. Um, so it would make sense to me if we can have one system that works across state boundaries, um, you know, which would then give a complete national picture of, of, of you know, waste movements and, again, you know, potentially help us identify where some of that sort of illegal behaviour is occurring and be able to stamp it out quickly. Now you're being a visionary, Lee. Trying to get conformity across across states is a is a tough thing, whether it's in waste or OHS or just about anywhere. But uh, it's certainly with the number of national companies we've got involved in the waste industry, I think it would be particularly helpful. And they would like to see it because you know at the moment we have to deal with uh, seven or eight different jurisdictions. It would be much simpler to have one, obviously, and and more efficient, um, and would save everybody money. Yeah, look, I would say, and you know, without putting words in in in, in the, the mouths of my counterparts in other states. I think we will have failed if a if a national company has got to have seven different waste tracker apps in each of its trucks just to deal with the different jurisdictions. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think that's kind of yeah not a good outcome for anyone. So you know certainly EPA Victoria is really committed to working with our, our, our colleagues in other states to to try and harmonise to the greatest extent we possibly can. 
Moving on to other areas in waste, Lee, you've spoken about the Waste Intelligence Network uh, that you've introduced, uh, which will, will be quite broad, um, but is intended to deal with some of those more criminal areas um, of uh, waste disposal. What is that about and what do you hope it'll, it'll achieve? Yeah, so, so the Waste Intelligence Network is an, an, well, part of one of the, the, the key deliverables under the Victorian Government's Recycling Victoria package of, of initiatives. And um, in, in effect, what it's looking to do is, is make sure that all of the government agencies, whether it's a regulator like the EPA or WorkSafe, or whether it's um, the police or Fire Rescue Victoria, each one of us will, will touch uh, a, waste, a waste and recycling facility in some way. Um, and what we have experienced in, in incidences like the Tottenham fire is that we all hold a little piece of information. And if you put it together, you start to get the full picture of some of the more criminal behaviour. So, so the Waste Intelligence Network is really a, a, a virtual uh, network uh, hence its name, of, of the different agencies that, that will work with the waste and recycling sector that have a little bit of information, um, make sure that we're sharing that information well um, and that we're able to then identify pretty early where some of that, that criminal behaviour is and, 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 and stamp it out quickly. So really that's what, what it's about. It's about sharing information um, and making sure that you know, each and every one of us has got a full picture of what's going on. So we go in with our eyes open, we're targeting our efforts more appropriately and ultimately we're, 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 we're stamping out some of the, the criminal behaviour that, that unfortunately we've seen resulting in pretty catastrophic fires and other incidences here in Victoria. You've actually introduced some former policemen into, into the EPA. Um, will they be taking responsibility for this? Is, is that the area that they were dealing with or... Who will actually be responsible for the uh, new network? Yeah, so we certainly have built our capability in, in EPA to deal with, you know, that that more criminal element that, that occurs not only in waste crime, but I, I'd say in environmental crime overall. So um, in November this year, we had our first um, first ever chief investigator uh, employee, Ernestina DeMarco, who's now heading up our environmental crime branch. And, and that branch... Um, comprises a number of, of specialist investigators who've got backgrounds in police or with ASIC, um, IBAC and others. Um, we've got 40 investigators across the state. They will work with our intelligence team So, we've, uh, and our waste intelligence network is really being built into our, our intelligence team. They'll work with our prosecutors to get a much more whole of EPA approach to dealing with some of these more serious environmental crimes. So, you know, we've got great capability now, um, better capability than I think we've ever had, um, you know, through those specialist investigators, through our surveillance officers, through our intelligence analysts, forensic accountants. You know, I think we've muscled up to be able to deal with some of these issues that, you know, we know industry wants stamped out and they want us to stamp out quickly. Um, I think we've now got the ability to do that. Lisa, moving on to, I guess, the relationship that you have with the community, with the industry, um, and it's a difficult position for you to be in and sometimes because the community wants one thing, the industry wants another. Uh, indeed, it's at some stages, industry is saying, well, we're complying with what your, your requirements are, and yet at the same time, the community is saying that's not enough. How do you 
deal with that sort of um, difficult relationship. You, you've got to sit on the fence under, under some circumstances. Um, and indeed, the new legislation requires you to take more notice of what the community is saying. Explain that juxtaposition for me. Yeah, it, it, it is, it's, it's an interesting challenge. I mean, fundamentally, as a regulator, our job is to enforce the law. Fundamentally, that's, that's what we're here to do. Um, and you're right, community will have different interpretations or expectations of what that actually means. Um, but one of the kind of the underpinning principles of, of the new Act um, is the concept of reasonably practicable, um, which means we have to take into account um, different things about the types of decisions we make, and that can be cost or age of infrastructure um, and, and other factors that make sure that you know, what we are requiring of industry is practical. Now, the thing that we perhaps um, haven't done as well in the past, but we're certainly very focused on now, is explaining those types of things that we take into account in the decisions that we make. So being very transparent about our decision-making, um, talking to the community, explaining to the community about why we've required certain things or why we've taken certain actions. And in some cases, that's as simple as just explaining what the law requires. So, you know... It is a challenge. There's always um, different views within community, um, different expectations or different understandings of what the EPA should or should not be doing. Um, look, we're, we're not in all cases are we going to change those opinions, but I think what we can do is be much more transparent, much more consistent, and rather than just tell people what we've done, to really explain the why and I think that in itself is a pretty fundamental shift for, for a regulator. And, and I think over time, um, I hope that community, that will help build trust with the community. Um, and, and, you know, that's one of the key key objectives that I've got is to really make sure that EPA um, may not be liked by everyone, but we will be trusted and respected by everyone. So I guess there's a level of scepticism that industry has in terms of what can be done with the community and the relationship that the EPA may or may not have with the community. So industry suggests on many occasions that it bends over backwards to deal with the community, to be transparent with the community, but it doesn't always mean the community is happy with it. And therein lies the problem. They might be the, the industry might be complying with the legislation, but the community is not happy with it. And then government, in this case the EPA, might come in and side with the community because it seems to be a more popularly, popular position to take. How do you get over that level of scepticism that industry has about what the regulator's role might be, especially when you now have to take more account of what the community's uh, views are? Yeah, look, I think in a lot of ways it's the same set of actions we need to take with industry that we do with community. We need to be transparent, we need to be consistent, we need to be... Uh, proportionate, and we need to explain, um, you know, what it is we're doing and, and why. But, but fundamentally, our job is to enforce the law. Um, now, community can have different views, but our job, again, is, is to really make sure that the, the, the legal obligations and requirements that exist on industry are, are being met. Um, that means that sometimes we're going to have to have very difficult conversations with communities about what can and cannot be done. And equally, we, we're seeing increasingly industry really step in and, and have direct relationships with, with local communities um, to explain to them what it is they're, they're doing. And, and part of what I think we, we want to do um, as a regulator 
is, you know, you often see regulators tell the story of you know, the prosecution action that we've taken, um, the fines that we've issued, um, where we've seen non-compliance. And whilst that, you know, that's an important deterrent, I think it's equally important that we tell the story, the, the good stories of compliance that, that we see from industry. And, you know, that, that's something we also want to do because not only does it, it again, build confidence within the, uh, within the community about the good environmental practices that do exist, um, but it also helps us build that state of knowledge across different industry sectors. And, and state of knowledge is, is a really important element of, of the new legislation and in particular the general environmental duty. A great segue there to the general environmental duty, which is a really important part of the legislation. How would you encapsulate that uh, for those industries that are looking at this legislation pretty much for the first time now and the ex expectations of what the GED or the general environment duty creates for them? Yes, I would describe the GED as really the centrepiece of, of the new act. And um, it's an obligation that doesn't just exist for industry. It's an obligation that applies to all Victorians. And, and basically what it means is that we've all got a responsibility to understand the risks to the environment that are caused by our activities and to take reasonably practical steps to, to avoid or, or, or reduce those impacts. So, you know, for you know, a, a member of the public, it could be how you don't tip paint down the drain. As simple as that, you know, put dispose of, of paint um, properly. It could be um, if you're getting a skip bin at your house, make sure that you're, using, you're dealing with a reputable company and that you're satisfying yourself that the, the, the waste that's going in that bin is going to, to, a, to a lawful place. Um, but it is a, a, an obligation, I think, that, that again, is based on the, the OH&S laws that puts that positive obligation on everyone just to be kind of practical, think about environmental impacts and just do the right thing, in effect, um, is what the GED is all about. So, no, I don't think it, it's it's about not overcomplicating things, but you know, forcing or causing people to, to understand those risks and to manage those risks appropriately. So, as an individual, I have a responsibility too under the GED, do I? That's exactly right. All Victorians have, have a responsibility under the, the GED. Um, you know, it's about everyone doing our bit to, to protect our environment from, from pollution and waste in those activities that, you know, you and I undertake every day, whether it's, you know, getting rid of paint or, um, you know, getting waste, removing waste from our homes. It's just about making sure that, you know, what we're doing is the right thing by the, by the environment. And so uh, can I be prosecuted for doing something at home uh, along these lines? What, what, what do you enable the EPA um, regulators to do? Yeah, so our focus um, at the moment, um, it, it has been on industry. Um, and we'll continue to be on industry as we lift that state of knowledge and build that awareness. But in doing so, we're certainly starting the conversation more broadly with, with the community. Um, but the, the GED, um, it is criminally uh, enforceable un, un, under the Act. And again, we'll, we'll be proportionate in how we go about in, enforcing that and our focus right now, because this is very, very new, is really lifting that state of knowledge, um, building awareness of what the GED is, building awareness of what um, businesses, but equally individuals, can do to make sure that they comply. 
Um, and then we'll be very proportionate and targeted in terms of how we go about that, that enforcement. Um, and you can expect that that will increase over time as it becomes, the GED becomes more mainstream in not only in business, but in our communities. You've talked about some practical issues that, that industry is going to have to adopt now. Um, and one of those that comes to mind is around the, the waste issues and what industry does with waste. So if you get a quote for a, somebody to take some waste away and it seems too cheap to be, to be real, um, what are you expecting of industry, whether it's small business, whether it's large business, in respect of these? And what is the responsibility of industry and what onus will you be placing on industry to make sure that they're doing the right thing in respect of that type of... Yeah, look, I think that old adage, you know, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Um, so, you know, if you are, are um, you've got waste to dispose of, you, you, you are expected and you are required to satisfy yourself that you're dealing with a reputable transporter, that the waste that you are generating is will be taken to, to a lawful place. That, that's it. So ask the questions. Seek the documentation um, and satisfy yourself. And that's what we'll be looking you're taking reasonably practical steps to satisfy yourself that, that the waste you're generating is ultimately going to be disposed of um, at, at a lawful pace. That, that's the critical thing. If I can delve into that just a bit more then, um, I've got somebody who I've never heard of but comes along and gives me a quote. Um, he looks like he's a waste, uh, waste deals with waste properly. Um, and am I able to just to forget about, uh, about it and let him go and dispose of the waste? What do you expect of me after the waste has actually left my premises? So basically, once it's left your premises, um, in effect, you know, provided you're satisfying yourself that, that, that whoever's collecting your waste, the transport of your waste, um, is going to take it to a lawful place, that, that's really the extent of your obligation. Um, how, how do I know, though? Because, you know, I can just take their word. Is that good enough? Or have I got to follow the truck to where it's going? I mean, to what extent am I going to have to deal with this? Yeah, I'd be asking questions. So I'd be asking them to provide you evidence of where that's going to be, to, to the waste, where the waste is going to be taken. You might even ask for them to, to provide you with a receipt after they've, they've disposed of it. So there's different steps, but certainly um, we're not going to the, or we don't particularly want to see, you know, every individual in Victoria following the the, the, the truck to the to the waste disposal site. But there are things you can do to satisfy yourself reasonably practical. And I think asking questions um, about the, uh, the, the driver, the company, and the disposal site is probably the, the critical thing. I want to go back to one of the comments you made earlier about dealing with the community, which I think is something that industry is learning to do and has been doing it in a much better way. Because we know that uh, CSR is very important and, and, and the, the community buying into anything or at least accepting the approaches that are being taken um, now is much, the, the companies are much more aware that they have to do it. You can't do something without community acceptance. So what have you seen being done by industry um, that has enabled the industry to, to undertake a project or enabled the industry to really engage with, with the community? Yeah, look, I think there are lots of, of, of really good examples. Um, you know, some, some are required, for example, through the planning process. So it might be you've got to do a community conference if you want a, a, a works approval. And in other cases, it's much more voluntary, just allowing um, 
the community into a business um, or onto a premises to see the work that's being undertaken. And, um, you know, there, there are you know, many examples I, I, I can give where, you know, you, you see the, in, the community kind of has one expectation of what's happening on a site, but once they come in and actually see um, the sophistication of the environmental management systems, the complexity of some of the, 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 the management processes that exist on a site, they walk away with a very different view. And, you know, certainly I'd be encouraging um, businesses to the extent that they can to be proud of, of the work that they've got, to be transparent of, of the work that they're undertaking um, and, and to engage with their communities. Um, but, you know, because local communities are, are, are really important. Um, and they're important, as you've said, to, to the, the CSR um, and, and ultimately um, to, to the longevity of, of, of businesses, particularly as we're, we're seeing, you know, some of the more traditional kind of industrial sites, particularly around Melbourne, you know, that interface with residential areas is forever in, increasing. And I think, you know, we've got to learn to, to how we manage those interface areas. But I think good conversations, good communication and transparency about what's happening um, it is pretty critical to that. Lee, one of the issues that industry will have is what their expectations can be and will be when your inspectors come around and, and look at what they're doing. Are they able to introduce on-the-spot fines immediately or what do you expect of your inspectors um, when they drop in and find a problem on site? Yeah, so... Our inspectors, when they when they arrive on site, um, will really be looking at again the, the risk management systems that that, that are in place. Um, if you've got a permission from us, so that could be a license, or a, a permit, or a registration, you can expect that they'll be looking at, at compliance uh, with the, any conditions that are applied to for that permission. But one of the design features, deliberate design features of, of the new act, is really to reduce the reliance on on the spot fines and really move more towards um, what are called indictable offences. So it really requires us to uh, a higher burden of proof through the courts, um, but with that become, comes you know, higher higher sanctions that, that can now be imposed, um, so, so higher financial penalties. Um, so whilst penalty infringement notices do exist in some cases, they're quite limited in their use under the new environmental protection framework. It, it, it's much more reliant on on matters being brought before the courts. You're talking about greater engagement with industry, I think which industry will certainly respect and, and think is a, a great change. But at the same time, we all have staff who are particularly keen on their job. Um, they join the EPA, for example, because they're, they really have a, a zealousness about the environment and they want to deal with that appropriately in their own mind. How do you deal with the fact that what you're telling us might not be able to be relayed to those who are working on site, working out in the field, who might have a different attitude to all this? Look, a great question. I think one of the, the, the things I've really noticed in, in my time with the EPA is that um, it's, a, it's a great bunch of really passionate people who, who believe firmly in, in the work that, that the agency does. Um, but it's important that um, what I say and what we talk about here is the lived experience of, of the, the business on the ground, whether that business is in Wangaratta or Orbost or Port Ferry. We, we need to be consistent um, and that experience that anyone has with the EPA is consistent. So 
things like our statement of regulatory intent are really important. So, so whilst um, one audience for that is industry and telling industry what they can expect of us, it's equally as valuable in making sure that EPA and all EPA staff end-to-end -end in the organisation are aligned around that intent. Um, so for, for me, it's about being very clear with my expectations at all levels of the organisation about how we will conduct ourselves. It's about giving the training and support to our staff to make sure that that's being implemented um, really well. It's about having the internal review and quality assurance mechanisms that we do um, have internally to, to make sure that our decision making is in a line with our statement of stated intent. So um, look, there, there's a lot of things that, that, that we do and, and we'd encourage feedback and we get feedback where um, people don't have the experience with an EPA authorised officer that they expected. Um, you know, we have, have systems that people can, can, can make complaints um, and that those complaints are all fully investigated. So, you know, it, it, my expectation very clearly is that we are aligned as an organisation and, and what you're hearing from me today is the lived experience on the ground. If there is uh, an issue that a company raises about a decision that's been made, how easy is it to, uh, to lay a complaint and how easy is it for it to be listened to? Yeah, so there are two processes. There are complaints about the conduct of individuals within EPA, um, and we've got a, a, a good process of those being investigated fully, which includes um, uh, interviews and, and, and proper investigations with the complainant and, and the individual involved. There's also under the new Act a, a formal review process that, that people can seek review of a decision that the EPA has made. Now, that's an internal process, there are also, of course, that um, anyone who, who works with the EPA can, um, you know, have, has the option of taking matters through VCAT or, or through an ombudsman. So there are there are different levels of investigation that can be undertaken. But but we want to what we want to do is, is again be open, transparent, and, and subject ourselves to, to review. It's through that review process that, that our officers and, and we, um, as an organisation, will get better and ultimately deliver better outcomes. We've spoken about the possibility of there being inadvertence and companies inadvertently breaching these regulations. This legislation has now been in almost six months and, and obviously that's from the 1st of July. What will be happening in that period of transition? Are you going to be able to relent somewhat when companies do act in a way that um, breaches the legislation but you can see hasn't been deliberate? Look, there are the new legislation, of course, introduces quite new requirements, and it also carries forward some requirements that have existed under under laws for, for, for a long time. And certainly for those new requirements, um, people and, and companies, despite best attempts and despite everyone's desire that we'll get hundred percent compliance from day one, those those honest mistakes are going to happen. Um, you know, people are going to enter the wrong piece of data, or they're going to forget to enter data, or you know, it could be one of many things, but you know, we're, we're all people um, and, and people make mistakes. Now, we don't want to take out the big stick and, and wrap everyone over the knuckles for each and every one of those uh, those honest mistakes. So so what we're going to, again, be doing is, is working with people, identifying what should have occurred, working with, with businesses to, to really improve their systems so that we do see, and what we'll be looking for is 
um, continuous improvement. So we don't want to see the same mistake happen in the same company over and over and over and over again over an extended period. Um, what we want to see is that once a mistake is made or if a mistake is made, um, we learn from that, we improve the systems, we deliver the training, there might be things we do at our end through additional guidance or other materials, but ultimately we see continuous improvement. Um, and, and once these new laws become more embedded, then of course our expectations will increase um, as we see that overall performance increase. So, you know, the state of knowledge improves, um, awareness improves, and we start to really bed down what this new legislative regime means for, for the different companies. Lee, thank you for engaging with us today. Thank you for being as open with us as you have been. Um, I think the relationship between the EPA and industry um, will improve uh, and will change because you have expectations. But I think the fact that you're going to be flexible and listening to industry issues will be really important. And you've already shown that with a number of the decisions that you've made since and immediately before the legislation. Um, we've certainly welcomed that. This is part of a podcast series that we're running with Environment Connect, which you support and the department supports. It's a program that's aimed at trying to give industry better information and indeed trying to make sure that industry and the EPA work more closely together. We think that's vital in, in, in this new period and when the legislation is being bettered down. So thank you for working with us uh, and thank you for being engaged in this podcast because it these short podcasts will enable industry to better understand what's happening. Now, th thanks, Tim. I think it's um, it, look, it's great to be able to engage directly with industry um, through, through this and through other forums. Um, you know, really, what we want to see, and I think what we all want to see, is really good environmental outcomes. Now, it, it, it a healthy environment underpins our economy. Um, it underpins all that's great. I think about uh, about Victoria. So, you know, we will. I, I firmly believe as, a, as an environmental regulator, we will drive better environmental outcomes by engaging with, understanding and working closely with, with industry and, and with community. Um, we're about the outcomes. Um, I think we're all about the outcomes and you know, partnerships are a great way of, of, of achieving that. So, so you know, thank you for the opportunity and I, I, I look forward to continuing to, to engage with, with industry and certainly encourage everyone to, to visit our website where there is lots of information available, um, to reach out to our, to our offices um, and to ask the question. Um, if you're unsure, ask the question and we'll, we'll look to work with you to, to, to get you the information you need to make the decisions you need to make. What's the role that the EPA has with regards to emissions? Because we hear about many other areas that the EPA gets involved with, whether it's waste and dis disposal and that type of thing. Emissions doesn't seem to have the same approach uh, that the, the dealing with waste has. Do you get very heavily involved in emissions issues and how does that relate to climate change? Yeah, so uh, emissions like greenhouse gas emissions under the new Act uh, are defined as a waste. Um, so we'll be dealing with greenhouse gas emissions through our permissioning scheme uh, and, and through, through the border regulatory regime as we would any other, other waste. In fact, right, right now, we're, we're, and ideally early in the new year, we'll be putting out some new guidance material for, for, as a draft and, and to get feedback on, which is about how we will go about um, that issue of greenhouse gas emissions. So it's certainly an area of focus um, for us. We've now got uh, the, the climate change strategy in place in Victoria, which provides much greater clarity on what the, the requirements are, um, and we'll continue to work with the
industry to make sure that those requirements are met as we would for any other waste that's, that's generated. Terrific, thank you.